Welcome to Caribbean Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss everything real estate with experts from all across the Caribbean. If you are looking to learn how to buy, sell, renovate, and invest in real estate in the Caribbean, this podcast is for you. Here is your host, Dan Merriam, real estate investor, developer, and citizen of Antigua and Barbuda. Welcome back to the Caribbean Real Estate Podcast. I'm Dan Merriam, Canadian real estate investor living in and investing in the Caribbean. Today, I'd like to welcome Andre Allen. He's based in Jamaica. Um, Andre is a construction design professional and founder of Ajawi Construction, a full-service construction firm focused on supporting returning residents looking to design and build their dream property. Welcome, Andre. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's really a pleasure, and I'm glad to be here to serve, you know, to assist with cool. this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. I uh, We had a good chat about a month ago, and I really, uh, really love some of your ideas and love what you're doing in Jamaica. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm excited to dive into this and cover some, uh, some topics that are going to be helpful for our listeners. So, um, yeah. but yeah, let's start off with your story. Uh, tell us how you, you know, started in real estate design and construction and uh, I guess why you chose this path. Why? <laughs> Uh, I'm, let's see, I started off from a single mother, uh, St. Elizabeth, right? Uh, very humble background, very, very humble. Um, she wasn't able to, you know, uh, what do you say, take care of me because she's a single mother. So she sent me to live with my aunt, right? And from there... You know, growing up with my aunt, I really had to make shift with whatever I have. And uh, I found that because I didn't like to, wait a say, pester or trouble her for money, I started to do small jobs in and around my community. In, in particular, I started like uh, selling soap in my community. And that was just me um, showcasing my entrepreneurial skills or entrepreneurial desires. So I started off selling like bleach and soaps in the area. And that actually was, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know that that was just me, you know, being an entrepreneur as a child. So fast forward, I started um a friend of mine actually introduced me to architecture so he was doing architecture at the time and i saw him every night <laughs> um on the table drawing doing drawings and as a result of that i took an interest in it so i mm-hmm. ended up going to the uh, heart and you know doing drafting and building technology there and from there i then went back into my entrepreneurial self and started doing business cards and, nobody nobody called me during that time right but you know i was just there testing out things you know i tried things i failed a lot you know and i see where things didn't work and you know i continue handing out business cards and when one and two person call i would you know make myself available and from there i just continued over the years um, this was like 15 years ago, <laughs> so that's how long it has been, you know. 
So, so you just put yourself out there and, 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 and just got used to rejection for the first, uh, sounds like a few years at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bro. Yeah, it was a, a long, it was a lot of time um, spent with the rejection, but over time you get to build up your confidence and know that, hey, it's not necessarily that they don't necessarily like you personally. It's just that, you know, they're not necessarily your customer. So mm -hmm. you start, you start to become accustomed to the nose. And you just know that, okay, once in a while, there will be that one yes, and you're looking for that one yes. <laughs> yep. So so how old were you when you when you started, I guess, you know, it started with your, your soup business and started like, <laughs> I guess, kind of hustling just to make just to make things happen, make some money? Um, I think I was about eight, like eight years old. I, I actually saved up, saved up money from my, my aunt giving me lunch money to go to school. I actually saved that up every week until I was able to buy like a, a gal like two gallons of bleach. And I walked around in my community and asked everybody, hey, would you buy this for me? And they were like, all right, no problem. And little by little, you know, a lot. I started to even supplying the shop in the community. <laughs> I'm supposed to be buying from the shop, but I'm not <laughs> supplying the shop in the community. And, you know. Uh, everybody just knew me like that. So, you know, you have to just put yourself out there. That's it. And it's these like early, I guess, little early interactions that kind of shape a person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I started also working very young and, um, and my first like real job was riding an ice cream bike around selling at baseball games, which is kind of a Canadian, maybe American thing too. But in Canada, you have these little bikes that ride around selling ice cream. And I was like, the summer I turned 13, I started doing that and made like, that was my first real job, although I did some odd jobs when I was young too. But yeah, it, it, every interaction you have with someone, every negotiation, right? You you, yeah. you start that young and by the time you're in your, even in your 20s, you're just a beast, right? Compared yeah. to people who, you know, just started fresh out of school. It's it's real, uh, yeah, it's street smarts. It's, it's yeah. uh, and in business, it's so important. No, but look at it, look at it. Um, there was a... a stadium within the community so my aunt she actually had like an ice cream place that she sell ice cream to and because i'm the small one <laughs> and she know that i'm able to talk to people she actually sent me over to the <laughs> to the stadium while the football matches are going on and you know i'm there talking to people and these are people that are bigger than i am so I would sneak into the stadium and sell these things. And I, I was like, you know, walking around and people would try to get stuff from me. And, you know, I have a smart mouth. <laughs> so so I, instead of them ended up, you know, because I think I'm young and I don't know what I'm doing, you know, they would probably come to me expecting to buy one thing and end up buying more than what they you know, ended up coming for. So yeah. it, it's just during those times that you really hone those those instincts, if you may call it that, you know, that little time when you're younger and you're trying out things, I think that's the most important time in your life because when you fall when you're young and you can, you know, brush yourself off and get up back and move forward, that actually prepares you for when you're older and you're making bigger decisions and you fall you would have had those experiences from your younger. Yep. <laughs> I, uh, I love stories like this. It, uh, it, it, 
it, it really helps me piece together like, you know, who you are now and, and some of the things that you're doing and some of the success yeah. you've had. And, uh, and yeah, and I know everybody likes hearing, uh, hearing about, you know, hearing about different people's journeys because they're all unique. Right. So, um, yeah. so, so when did, when did you officially start a Jawi construction? All right. So while at UTEC, um, studying architecture, um, I wanted to supplement, um, my tuition. So mm -hmm. it was either borrowing or, um, doing business. Right. So, what I did was to register during my school year, you know, in architecture school and actually reach out to architects and engineers and try to get work from them. <clears throat> uh, I got a few, but not, not, not a lot. Um, Just drafting work and, and assisting yeah. with drawings and, and reviewing um, yeah. drawings. Yeah. Okay. And actually going out um, to do drone surveys um, or, like in the nights I would be drawing, like just designing 3D models, um, setting up drawings so that down the, down the line, if the architect was to come back to me, you know, I, I would have already have them set up already in such a way yep. that they are able to get details, get sections, elevations, you know, all everything. So everything I did was in model. So I would spend a lot of time on the model even though the architect didn't necessarily ask for that they just probably asked for a floor plan but i'm there working on it as a model setting it up so that when they're ready for it um, i'm able to provide all the necessary details and that kind of made it more efficient um so it's more about planning ahead rather than just doing the bare minimum because they asked for just a floor plan so you know yeah and and that helped pay your way through school, but I, I bet also was a great way to make connections, learn learn the business, and um, and get it get ahead of some of your peers who are you know in school, but you know <laughs> were, were getting funded and after after class weren't really focused on the business. Yeah, so it it it's a good marketing point because everything that we do is really marketing ourselves, right? Um, is either you're doing poor marketing or good marketing, <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. While I was at school doing these schoolwork, um, those were used to post or to show architects that, hey, this is what I do. Every single day, this is what I do, right? Um, so when I do these jobs for them, I would then use those as my marketing point as well. So, you know, because the way how architecture school is set up, um, you are actually in front of the professionals. Those that are going to employ you within the industry, you're actually in front of them. They're the ones that are teaching you. So um, showing them that, hey, this is what I do, helped me to be in a position where once I, am, I, I leave school, they already know about me, right? Yeah. So it's, it's marketing yourself. Yeah, so you you grew a Jawi straight from when you were a student and just kept getting more and more jobs and then eventually kind of established a more, I guess, formal business with staff and and you know, your, yeah, your website yeah. and all your marketing and and but at yeah. first it was kind of organic. Yeah, it was more it, it was just me in a position where I need to pay for tuition. I don't have people to sign for a student loan. 
and I, I just need to finish school. So it's yeah. either I drop out or I figure out something to make money that is legit, <laughs> right? It's it's me. So yeah. that's 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 where I took it from. Um, and that actually paid for not only tuition, right? But it put me in a position where I'm paying for my housing, um, food, everything, right? And one of the ways that I did that was when I did a drawing, I didn't get the money and use that money to, to pay for things. I didn't do that. I use that as leverage. So when I get, get that money, I put my money in the bank and borrow the bank's money because now I'm able to borrow from the bank. My money is there safe and I borrow and say, hey, I have X amount of money in the bank. Lend me my tuition and I will pay you back. If I don't pay you back, that's, I have that money right there. So the bank was no more willing to lend me. I can I get a, a, a cheaper rate because I'm borrowing against my money, right? And when I pay back on time or before time, I know pay less. So the aim was yeah. to and it job. builds up your credit and reputation yeah. in the bank. So that yeah. when and so as your business scales, you were able to keep taking advantage of some of those credit facilities. Exactly. So. Yeah. You put yourself in a position where you're like, okay, I have, say, a million dollars in the bank. I go to the bank and say, hey, lend me 500000 I don't want to use my money. I use the bank money, pay my tuition. Um, in the, Within the next three months, I'm looking at, okay, how much jobs can I do within these three months to pay back that? All right, I, I need X amount of money. I need X amount of jobs. Okay, I'm marketing myself now. And I'm putting myself in a position where people know about me. Even if I'm not doing any work, I'm working on something. There are times when for three months I didn't have any work. But what I did was I created a work for myself. So I started designing, you know, small houses. Okay, this is a $2 million house. What does that look like? And I just started to post those. And people saw them and liked them, liked the design and everything. And because I have that money in the bank, and I'm I already pay my tuition. I'm I I can say okay. I'm not getting kicked out of school, <laughs> right? And yeah. I can pay that back. I have five years to pay back. So I don't I don't borrow it and say oh I'm gonna pay it back by three months time. I borrow it and stretch out the payment. So they think I'm going to pay back in five years, but my plan is to pay it back in probably two months or three months. So I yeah. went yeah. and hustle, but. If I don't get the money within that three months, I'm still okay for the five years, right? So yeah, it's just yeah. a matter of strategically putting yourself in that, in that position. Well, putting yourself in these uncomfortable positions and putting yourself under pressure, I've always found as an investor and and entrepreneur, it's always been a positive thing because you're right. It, it kind of forces you to hustle. You don't yeah. have a choice and it, it's definitely a motivator. Um, the other concept that, that you've kind of touched on is, you know, good debt versus bad debt. And it's not just the Caribbean, but but I talk to a lot of people in the Caribbean and, you know, even in Canada, and they don't understand the concept of good debt. Yeah. Um, and they think all debt is bad. But yeah. every successful business or pretty much every successful business owner I know and, and successful real estate investor um, understands that concept and uses other people's money to grow, right, to grow yeah. their business, yeah. to grow their 
portfolio. And it sounds like you've, you've done some of that already and, uh, and, and understand that. Yeah. And, and you have to actually look at, um, that sometimes in, 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 in the way that, okay, what, what opportunities are you creating by taking on that debt? Because even for me, um, in scaling, I saw that I'm doing one thing, right? So say I'm doing designing and I've, I've borrowed money to go to school, right? And I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, I'm doing designing. What else do my clients need? They need, they need to be able to print during <laughs> their jobs. So do I borrow the money to, to get the resources or do I use my money to get the resources? I need that cash flow, right? I need that cash flow. But if I borrow the money, stretch out the payment, but still pay it off in a shorter period of time, still get that resource to then start making more money, that in itself could end up paying for that debt that you just took on and you still have your money, yeah. it works out. <laughs> it works yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you, you just have to evaluate it, uh, constantly evaluate it and evaluate yourself as well. Um, I can't say, I, I can't say this enough. Entrepreneurship to me is about constantly evaluating yourself. Where are you? Mm -hmm. Are you working on yourself enough? Throughout all of all of my journey, I've always been working on myself, whether it's to manage things better, whether it's to view things better. So every single day, I, for me personally, I have three areas that I work on every single day. If I get up tomorrow, you know that I'm working on those three areas. It's spiritual, physical, and financial. So financially, you need to be in a certain position to be able to be spiritually okay and physically okay. So if you're if you're financially horrible, <laughs> these two can't survive on themselves because you can't be you can't be broke and spiritually okay <laughs> and physically okay. So you, you're gonna be in a problem, right? Yep. If you are spiritually okay but you're still broke, uh, you're not bringing in money and you're physically unhealthy it doesn't work so i have always worked on on those things so every morning i get up i get up like four o'clock i work out for two hours during that time i'm listening to jim Ro jim Rohn. um who else uh you have a lot of people that i listen to um like a lot of podcasts or like audible yeah, books like that, that kind of content yeah and uh, yeah um more, i listen to books a lot as well because as i say it's about learning it's about yeah. learning about yourself and learning about how you can deliver at the end of the day because if you're not constantly educating yourself you're not going to be able to to, to, to survive or to grow to grow yeah. the business because if you grow your business to a 20 billion dollar company but your mindset is two thousand dollars you ain't going anywhere, yeah. right? So you have to always, for me personally, keep that three balance, spiritually, physically, emotional, um, financially. 
So I always yep. focus on that. And everybody has their three or, or their, I guess, healthy, most successful people I know have that healthy morning routine or positive yeah. affirmation list that they go through or poster on the wall. They look at in their office every day <laughs> and it makes a difference. And yeah. um, I, uh, I have my own that I read every morning. The other thing, and you know, there's some industries where being a night owl works. And, and I think yeah. some people kind of are, are, you know, do their best work at night, but most of the successful people I know are up early and, yeah. and are beating, beating the mad scramble that starts around eight or 9 AM, depending on the industry. I, I'm the same that the, the the most productive time and peaceful time that I have to work starts at or yeah four thirty five a.m. and it's also a great time to you know do the things that you need to for yourself to start the day. So I'm also part of the four a.m. club four a.m. club and I love it. Um, I'll admit though the last week I've been traveling a lot, so I've been you know arriving late and at airports and getting stuck here and there. So I'm I'm feeling a little out of sync but you know if 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 you can get up at you know 4 a.m or 4 30 a.m um five days a week for a month straight you're going to accomplish a lot no no yeah. matter what right so uh so anyways yeah, but, i i love that well let me ask you this though have you yeah. have you ever seen been it all right do you find yourself solving problems while you sleep you know I forget who, who said this, but a lot of people wake up at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. every night or every other night just naturally and have their best ideas. Yeah. I've had a few. I actually find it's right when I wake up, which is kind of yeah. strange. It's not midnight or the middle of the night, and it's very, very early in the morning. But, yeah, I have some friends who always say, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night and have my best ideas, and they yeah. write them down, and they actually are – are good ideas. It, it's amazing how the human brain works. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, I've, I've heard that before. Yeah. So that that's actually one of the perks of getting up early for me, right? Yeah. And focusing on those areas because by the time I'm in the evening, I want to sleep, but then I have such, um, problems that I'm thinking about, as in hurdles. Let's put it as hurdles. Yeah. And because I, I'm, I'm now sleeping. I'll get up in the middle of the night and my, and my wife probably looking at me and I'm like, why are you getting up? And I just get a pen and write out something. Yeah. And in the morning, I'm like, hey, you remember that problem that I had? This is the solution. So, yeah, yeah wake up early, do those things that, you know, focus on the physical, the mental, you know, all those three areas. And you'll find that over time, the solutions that you're looking for, they'll come to you without you even knowing that, hey, you know, you were looking for that solution. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because uh, I, I want to keep this focused on the Caribbean. You know Jamaica yeah. really well. It's a huge island, three, three million plus people. Um, what do you love most about the Caribbean or, or even what do, you, what do you love most about Jamaica? Um, whether it's living there, growing up there, doing business there. Um... Uh, I'm going to say the, the, the thing that everybody loves about Jamaica. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's yeah. absolutely beautiful. Um, and I'm, I'm talking of beauty as in the people and the landscape, right? If, if, you, if you enjoy traveling and going on excursions you will love jamaica 
especially from the air because i i do like drone photography or drone surveys all the time yeah uh, looking at just look being able to look at it and seeing the different things the different lands how the landscape roll um and i tell you i actually went and did um parasailing in negril and being up there in the sky physically your body above that water and looking back at the island it's beautiful it's yep. beautiful yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I've I've only been to Jamaica once, but you're right. It's uh, mm -hmm. it's it's absolutely gorgeous. Everybody says that about Jamaica, and there's a lot of diversity too. Um, yeah. Beautiful beaches, beautiful water, but there's also a lot of like beautiful hiking and, and jungle uh, uh, waterfalls and and a lot of great wildlife. And yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. it must just be a great place to live. Yeah, and and another thing that is very beautiful about Jamaica is that we walk around and we don't necessarily mess with other people so you could you you're not judged <laughs> basically you're not judged um in in certain ways i mean you will always be judged overall but you as somebody who is from overseas coming to jamaica you can you can walk around literally and nobody will really mess with you right um and they are quick to help you i mean some yeah. some of us are entrepreneurial and we, we you know they will charge you for certain things but <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes i i did notice that they're very helpful but usually uh usually yeah. might want a, a u.s uh yeah, u.s bill at the end of it but that's okay <laughs> yeah and if 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 you're doing like real estate and you're doing real estate in certain areas so for example you go to look at a property in, in like the rural areas you will not leave without them giving you things so like i went i go to sites sometimes and you know do viewing for people and if it's even a little seasoning you know a little time a man plant banana yam they are going to, you know, you're in the area, you visit them, they're going to give you some to go back with. So that's one of the things that, you know, is really beautiful about Jamaica. Cool. Um, well, I want to spend some more time there. So next time I'm there, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll make sure we meet up face to face. Yeah. Uh, you can show yeah. me around a little bit and, uh, and show me some of that uh, Jamaican hospitality. Um, yeah. So, so your business is very focused on returning residents, um, and I know it's a big category right now. I know just from growing up in Toronto, um, a lot of Jamaican people I talk to, especially Jamaican people, talk about coming back to Jamaica. And this yeah. isn't a new thing. They've been talking about it for 20 years, but I actually think a lot of baby boomers are starting to do it. And yeah. so there's a huge, I guess, um, Caribbean diaspora that wants to come back and connect with the roots, retire in Jamaica. I'm even starting to see some people um, in their 30s and 40s that want to do the same, you know, start families in the Caribbean because they have because they have parents there, they have family there, they you know really like the lifestyle. So talk to us about um, real estate opportunities for returning residents that you see that exist in, in Jamaica and I, I guess even the Caribbean as a whole. All right, so the 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 returning residents jamaica has approximately uh, about 1.3 million jamaican 
born people living overseas. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't realize year. it was that, that large of a population. Yeah, living overseas. Oh. So if you look at if you look at returning residents returning to build, you're looking at so let's say take 10% of that, that's a that's more than a three billion dollar market. Ow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it's more right. than three three billion dollars. That's just me saying ten percent. If you take one percent of that, let's let over a five-year period, that's 13, 1,300 Jamaicans returning over a five-year period. Let's just say right. that. So that's thirteen hundred. Imagine, let's say they're building a house, say two thousand square feet or three thousand square feet. You're looking at each of those houses being forty-six million, fifty million, thereabout. If you're if you are Jamaican dollars. Yeah. Jamaican okay. yeah, dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so if you, 46 million Jamaican, and that's just what's, that, what's the exchange right now, Andre? Uh it's 151. One, 150 to one. 151 to one. US dollars. Okay, thank you. US dollars, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's just me being conservative. That two thousand square feet. I don't know if a returning resident coming back to build two thousand square feet of house. So that's me yeah. being very conservative. So that over a five-year period, you're looking at um, 46, 46, 40, 49 million times 1,300 people, all right? You have a market that, you have a market, let's say 49 million, one, two, three, One more multiply by one thousand three hundred people. That's a lot of money, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I'm getting about four hundred and twenty million U.S. Yeah. dollars in in terms of the market. It, it, um, when you look at it, because I actually worked it out recently. Um, I did a market research, um, just for myself. Um, you're looking at over five hundred and thirty something million, because the construction yeah. value right now is eighteen thousand dollars Jamaican per square foot. And whether they build the home themselves or a developer builds them for it, or they buy mm -hmm. an existing home and, and, and invest in a renovation, what you're saying is the market's huge. I, I had no idea yeah. there's 1.3 million Jamaicans living overseas. And it, yeah. and it wouldn't surprise me that every well, five years, one born. Jamaican, Jamaican born, not just, yeah. so, so not just um, parents that were Jamaican or, or um, consider themselves Jamaican, even though they have a citizenship elsewhere. You're talking yeah. about people who have left Jamaica, were born there, and yeah. could come back. So, yeah, and one percent seems like a small number. You're you're saying the market for returning residents in Jamaica is huge. Yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly what I'm saying. And mm. what I did a research recently. It's a small research on our channel, and ninety-two percent, ninety-two percent of people are saying. That they want to return to Jamaica. That's that's of those that actually took the survey, right? And that's on our channel. There's five five thousand square five thousand subscribers, but we're looking at ninety two percent. But the interesting thing about it is that um, about if I'm remembering correctly, it's sixty percent of those no not true eighty percent said that they don't intend to borrow there they intend to use their savings to build yeah so you can see there that 
the potential is there. The problem that that most people find are most let's not say it that way. The issue is quality of work and reliable work. Reliability meaning can you call somebody and get them on the phone? Or they're not going to take your money and go missing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we have tried and have have been very successful in doing is create that sense of comfort for returning residents so that they can call at 10 o'clock in the night and get somebody on the phone to say, hey, I asked you to build my home. What's happening? And they're able to get that, right? Yeah. Before, I want to, I want to tell you how I actually pivoted towards returning residents is this. Um, a couple of years ago, um, I heard on the news that the, the head of the Returning Residents Association said that Jamaican residents should stay where they are and don't return. That upset me. <laughs> like, it upset me because you're telling somebody who born here that they're not supposed to return here. But why was that? <laughs> or, or... It's because... It's because what, yeah, um, t- tell us, break that out. Why, why, would, he, why would he say that? Well, it's because um, there was a situation where a few returning residents actually got hurt. So um, they actually died, right? So the the issue is that they they were overseas working for years, send back money to build house. They they didn't visit. They didn't um, (laughs) they didn't inspect. They just knew that they're working their hard money, hard earned money and sending it back to family to build, right? When they came back, they didn't have a house because the family actually took it over and they're now living in that house, right? Mm. And uh, there was an issue, but what they did was- Oh, somebody was squatting in their home. No, as in their family member set them up for them to be killed. Yeah, so- um, for me, Whoa. yeah, it happens. That's heavy. Yeah, yeah, it happens. It happens. Like, like this has happened more than once? More than once. Um, and I looked at it and I was like, why, why are you doing that? Why are you living overseas? You're sending back money to people to build a house for you. You have a bank. You have professionals that can inspect it. You have all of these, but you rely on your family member to inspect for you, to build for you, to they're not even a professional in the area and you're asking them to do that. But how I looked at it was you you left me in Jamaica. Let's just I, I put myself in the situation and say you left me in Jamaica, went overseas, get your money, build house, you're sending it back to me to build, and then you come back and leave me in the ghetto and you gonna live in a big house. That's okay. how so but just created, to be clear, Andre, you're saying that, that there was like a murder in the family when the family member came back because yeah. of this dispute, basically. Yeah. Yes. And it happened it happened more than once, right? So wow. and additionally, you had situations where people came back and they they um actually 
it was a situation where they, there was a robbery and the person died, right? So it's not a lot of situation, but those one and two situations that occur, they're highlighted, right? Yeah. So I'm not saying that they, they created a stigma. Yeah, yes. like you're you're obviously not saying this is a problem. This is yeah. this happened. It created a stigma, but you're yeah. saying that that really what returning residents need is is a contractor or a um, or a company that they can trust to actually do the work, manage it for them, so they can just show up and turn key walk into the home. And there's yeah. not enough of that in Jamaica that exists, or it's it's, it's very hard to find people that uh, that are that can do that. A to Z, start yeah. to finish. Yeah. So, but yeah. um, what what we did or what I did for my my companies, I am not the contractor. What I do is set up, establish the contracts, so it becomes an unbiased or there isn't a conflict of interest, right? So, what I would do is I design, right? Then when the time comes for submittal and approval, I will go through it for the returning resident. Mm -hmm. So I do all the paperwork for them, make sure that they have a copy of everything. Um, <clears throat> I also um, keep them informed. So I have a receptionist who call them to say, hey, your droid is at this position. Um, it will be approved soon. Um, when it when we get feedback, we we'll always update them, send them emails, right? When it when it's approved, what we do is we then select a few contracts, few quantity surveyors to quantify the material, quantify everything, yep. and prepare a bill of quantities. So we establish a contract between the client and the quantity surveyor. Once we have that in place, then the quantity surveyor now. Is, is responsible for creating a contract to, and doing a tender. That tender goes out to a few contractors, which I am independent, it's independent of me. Yeah. So I am there to look out for the client's best interest to say, okay, you as the quantity surveyor, you run the tender independent of me. I have no say in it. I don't influence you in any way. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to send it to me. Only the finished product you send to me. So when you select the contractor, you have already spoken to the client. At that point now, I will step in to say, okay, let's let's have the contract in place and I'll look at it um, just to give them advice, right? Uh, and in fact, we I don't charge them at that point when they're dealing with the quantity surveyor because I'm not necessarily working in that position. It's between the two of them. But then when they come back to me now, at that point now, then I can establish a cost for, for my service, right? Yes. And what that does is it, it eliminates a conflict of interest. So even yeah. during construction now, it's not a matter of, I like this contractor and I like the client. It's not that situation. It's a situation of the client engage me to ensure that on site, Whatever you say that is going on is actually going on. And when during the construction, we actually go in and do a survey, a drone survey, every single time I go to a site. So if if something moves on the site, the client can see it real time. So I will do a video, um, I'll do a walkthrough, 
um, if there are any notations, if there's any concern that I have, I then tell it to them in a report and send it to them. And I send it to the contractor as well to say, this is what the report says. Yeah. Right. So, so you're not, not you're not building homes for people. You're creating a service to help people build homes, especially returning mm -hmm. residents, yeah. and acting really as a project manager, general contractor. Uh, sounds like you're using technology to help with that process. Help yeah. keep your clients informed and provide actual proof that the yeah. contractor that you've both selected to hire um, or contractors are doing their job. And yeah. showing status updates and and basically your boots on the ground for these people that want to build yeah. their you know their dream home and 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 really can't be there and yeah. uh and and need someone to rely on yeah and it put them in a position to make decisions because i tell you recently i had a project and the contractor was doing was going on he was doing construction <laughs> and Every time I went to the site, I show exactly what is there, and the client was having some issues. Um, we wrote the contractor to say, hey, you know, there's an issue here. What are you going to do? And the client ended up saying, hey, we're not continuing with that contractor. Before, what would have happened is them just come back and don't see, and don't see, some, don't see anything, <laughs> or they see something below their standard. But now, because we have opened up that door for them to say, this is the exact thing that is on your site. They're now able to make decisions to say, okay, I don't want you to continue or I want you to continue to finish. Yeah. Hmm. I, I like, uh, I think there's a lot of people that like what you're saying it, and, and there's a big need for that. I, I know just from living in Antigua and spending some time in different Caribbean islands, I've heard this from a lot of people that, and not all contractors, but a lot are very tough to deal with. Yeah. And it's very hard to keep things on schedule. I find everyone I talk to says, you know, the schedule and timelines just drag. And the 12 month promise to build a home often turns into two or three years, right? So um, let me, let, let's keep going down this returning resident path because I know it's something you're really focused on. And, and it sounds like it's a, it's a big market in Jamaica and, and the Caribbean. So what are returning residents looking for or, you know, specifically what areas are they looking to buy in? Is it usually based on, you know, where they have roots, where they have family, or are there specific areas that are more attractive to returning residents in Jamaica? Uh, they want to go on the North Coast. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that's the windward side of the island. Um, pretty much if they can get houses on that side of the island, and, and it, it's only natural because that's the greener side of the island. That's where okay. you, know, you can relax and um, enjoy the view. Whereas the leeward side, um, which is where Kingston is, right? You know, it's more business and it's more fast paced. It's more, more vehicle. It's not as green as the windward side, right? So... Hmm. They're more looking for that side of the island to buy into. The, the 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 thing is that when you go on that side, it's more expensive. It becomes more expensive once they do buy houses. Um, what I've seen is that they're they're looking to buy land and then build, right? Um, they don't necessarily like apartments. They like townhouses or hosts. You know? So they're looking for that ideal property 
in the ideal location where it's safe, secured, and they can have yard space and a nice home. Yeah. Yeah. So so back up a sec. So so I've noticed this on some islands in the Caribbean is a lot of people like the north side of the island. So so in Jamaica it's greener. Is there a better breeze on the north side of the island? Is there um, but but here's here's what I've noticed also is most Caribbean islands and, and Jamaica's in a different location. I know the Eastern Caribbean well, but if you look at Eastern Caribbean islands, all the best beaches are on usually the southwest coasts or even the southwest side of the island. And yeah. in the Eastern Caribbean, it's because the heavy waves come in, um, you know, seaweed comes in, the breeze comes in. So those coasts on the northeast side are usually rocky. But I know in Antigua, Barbados, like Platinum Coast and, and down by Christchurch, there's some beautiful beaches and all along the west side of the island. And um, same goes for, you know, even St. Kitts. I, I can keep going through the list, Grenada. So is it true also in Jamaica that all the the best beaches are on the southwest coast in Jamaica? No. no. So where are the no. best beaches in Jamaica? It's on the north side. It's on the north. It's on the um, north side. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's where you'll find Ocherius, Negril, um, Westmoreland, well, Trelawney. Westmoreland is, you know, down in the, in the, in the south side, but it's, I wouldn't say that it's that much in the south. Uh, it's, it's actually on the south side, but like where you meet Negril on that, that side on the, on the west, it, it, it starts you start to see the beauty um from there going around because uh, yeah that's where i thought was desirable like treasure coast treasure and all the way up negril even all the way up to montego bay but but you're saying the north side of the island is really really the yeah. premium um, properties and the most desirable yeah. places for and residents. Missouri, portland yeah um, all of that side once you go on that side, it's greener. The beaches are way are better. Um, on the south side, a lot of beach erosion are going on. So okay. in, in in like you used to have a beach called um, Helsha Beach in Kingston that's eroded. Um, most of the developments that are happening are actually happening um, on the south side. So you you have a lot of um, so like the port like the the port is in on the north side. So you find that ships are coming in in the harbor, Kingston Harbor. So the the it's beautiful but not as beautiful as the north. Hmm. I didn't yeah. I didn't know that. I, I did know that they just built a new airport up near Ocho Rios, I think in St. Mary's, right? Yeah, yeah. Boscobel, I think. Boscobel area there. Yeah, and it's an international airport, so so I guess the flight access there is easy. Montego Bay is also uh, not that. Yeah, I guess port. on the far, I guess Montego's northwest coast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Northwest. Okay. But if you notice, if you notice the 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 beaches on those sides, you'll see that the hotels, most of the hotels, are going on that side. So if if you want to know, if you want to know where where are the best places? Oh, look I do. Where, look where <laughs> hotels are. Yeah, <laughs> look yeah, where yeah. they are. They are they, look where investors are are buying up properties. 
And as soon as you see those uh, like hotels coming in those areas, you know that the prices of properties are going up. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Saint Thomas. Saint Thomas. There's a. There's a. Um, it's on the on the on the south. But the thing with Saint Thomas now is that there's a road going on. There's a highway going in that direction now. So you'll find that a lot of people are buying up property in Saint Saint Thomas. Saint Thomas. A lot, a lot, like say about three to four years ago, road was horrible. And it, it was dry because it's on the leeward side, right? Um, now that that highway is going in, once you move past that patch where the, the, the beaches are being eroded and actually go deeper into St. Thomas, you'll find that people are now buying up properties because that highway is coming there. So yes. you'll find that there's a connection happening. So there's more opportunities now. So you'll find people buying up beach properties down there. Well, I'm going to keep picking your brain on this, Andre, because I, uh, <laughs> I, I do I do want to learn the lay of the land in Jamaica. And it's a big island and there's a lot of, uh, you know, different pros and cons to investing in different areas. So um, yeah. let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about your, your business and kind of where you see it going in the future and how you plan on kind of growing what you've already started. Yeah, I mean, for us, we're looking at um, doing our own developments in the in, in the. In the yeah, that's I, a lot. I don't, I don't want to say long run. I want to say a short long run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, we want to we want to do developments. So we want to do the do townhouses, um, communities. Right. It's 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 more about creating a community that is self-sustaining and also technology-driven. So you're looking at communities where um, you know, smart houses, um, solar, you're looking at um, water harvesting, all of these ideas. Um, it, it takes time. <laughs> I know it takes time and it, and it will take a lot of um, investing in it, right? Not only, not only monetary, but time and ideas. So, you know, you, 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 you really want the ideas. So for me personally, I'm looking at having modular, modular houses where people can have property, like land space, and still be in that community where they are able to watch their kids run around or they can ride a bike and not be worried about, okay, my kids is on the street. You know, I have to watch over them. I want that community where when you come, you know, you're able to um, have a checkpoint, as in, you know, you have an entry gate, a nice entry gate. You are able to have a area that you can buy your groceries within that community. And then you're able to probably have a pharmacy uh, and a little school and then you can move into your community. So that's where the idea is for us. And it's, it's about creating that synergy as well. So the thing is, a lot of houses that you see in Jamaica, they are not necessarily built using all the professionals that should be on it. Mm -hmm. So for us, 
we pride ourselves in having the architects involved, the engineers in, involved, the land surveyors, the quantity surveyors, the, um, all of the professionals that are needed to get that turnkey solution. That's where we, we, we see ourselves going. So it's not about cutting out and making it, um, let us say, cheaper. It's more about having the right people in the right place doing the right thing to give that solution that everybody can enjoy. Yeah. yeah. I, I like your vision around this. We, we've talked about this a little bit before. And I think, you know, it's not because of the global pandemic, although it's definitely a catalyst. Um, yeah. People are more mobile. Um, mm. People are kind of longing for community. And, and I think in a lot of places around the world are kind of missing that. Um, yeah. And I think the, co the way that communities are designed really needs to be reinvented. And I'm hearing this coming up all the time, you know, in, in every country. Um, there's a huge, um, I guess, uh, trend, and it's existed for a while, of big master plan communities being built in the United States. This started 20, maybe even 30 years ago. And, you know, Canada and the U.S. are known for subdivisions. But a lot of those subdivisions and master plan communities were not built with sustainability in mind, right? They were built for, you know, people that own cars and commute to work, yeah. right? And even, even the way that they've been set up are inefficient for governments because the governments, in order to service these very spread out communities, um, the, the tax they're collecting doesn't cover all of their costs. So they either, yeah. and they, therefore they have to raise taxes, but uh, on these communities, they're, they're, they've done a lot of studies on this. And, and basically they're, these, these communities are losing money for government and municipalities. And they're really not that great for residents. You can't walk anywhere in a lot of these communities. Yeah. Um, and the reason I'm bringing this up is I think there's going to be a whole new wave of, um, and, and uh, uh, I guess the way that communities are designed will be completely reinvented. So, and, and I think what you're doing with returning residents, especially people that are in, moving into retirement, you know, I think you could build in Jamaica something really specific for Jamaica because every country has their own problems. Every community wants something different and you can yeah. design something specifically for them. Um, and you're already meeting a lot of these people and talking to them. I'm sure you're already formulating ideas. Um, yeah. I have a, I have a group of, um, I have a network out in Bali, Indonesia, uh, Russian speaking people. Um, there's a big Russian community in Bali and I've worked with a lot of them. And, um, I have a good friend of mine, Ivan Tumenev, who's actually working with a real estate developer in Bali to design a community for digital nomads, entrepreneurs, and startups. And yeah. it will consist of private apartments that people can buy. Um, and there's actually a really interesting blockchain and tokenization component to this project that I won't get into because it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit difficult to explain, although it's, it, it has a lot of merit, I think is a very good, um, very interesting concept that, that could work really well. But, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, a community of, you know, apartments, um, a hostel slash hotel, for people to stay at and visit people, maybe a luxury section of the community for people who want something nicer, but also want to participate in, in, you know, community events they're having there focused around technology, startups and entrepreneurship, um, you know, facilities, restaurants, gyms in a great location. And it's not just a gated community, right? It, it's not just a master yeah. plan community. It's, 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 it's really much more than that. 
and um and so and i think the caribbean's ripe for that and i think you're right the a, a big part of that is using uh, prop tech and contact to make that happen so modular structures um yeah. prefabricated structures um, using IOT devices to, you know, um, optimize um, and and increase the efficiency of these communities and structures, solar and renewable energy. Yeah. So, you know, the list goes on and we could talk about this for another whole hour. But um, yeah. it's uh, no, I, I like your vision there, Andre. I think it's very, uh, very cool. And, and I'd love I'd love to see you doing some do something. I'd love to see you do something specific for Jamaicans in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, if you look at if you look at it now, you, you see where um, a lot of these communities are going up um, on the north coast. You have a, you have a lot of um, developments going on, right? But you, you you find that they're really relying on like exterior um, areas to the community for like shopping and stuff like that. So why not integrate those? That's that's the, the idea that I'm thinking about. So yeah, but we'll take this offline because I'd love to. I'd love to tell you more about this project in Bali. I'd love to share some ideas around um, similar projects that I've um, started planning in the Caribbean. Uh, just conceptually, because I'm I'm interested and exciting about it. I had a plane ride for four hours, and I just you know typed away a whole tiny home sustainable development that would be perfect for an island like St. Kitts and Nevis or or Antigua. Different solution, I think, than what you're talking about in Jamaica, but but kind of a similar concept. So yeah, we'll take that offline. Um, let me ask, what resources can you recommend for um, new business owners in in kind of the real estate construction space? in Jamaica and in the Caribbean, or, or what were some of the resources that helped you as you were growing and, and, and building your business? YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. Yeah, man. YouTube. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, it's not about um, watching, watching uh, things to make you laugh and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Educational content. Yes. Yeah. Focus on educating yourself. Um, and it's, education doesn't mean that you start something and you have to finish immediately it's it's a process um for myself i i will have a book and i will be listening to that book for days not because i didn't hear the entire book already but there are certain things that you'll miss right and listening to it a second time a third time a fourth time you'll pick it up so constantly educate yourself and are you finding these books on youtube or using another um another site youtube nice. i use YouTube to listen to books cool i uh, i i actually use um i have a tablet and what i do is um my wife and i actually do it we challenge ourselves each month to see who gets to select what we're going to invest in so so uh if i read if i read the book if i finish my book before her then i get to select what we invest in for that month. Um, cool. so each, each month we have a select amount of money that comes in that we we just invest it right so um we go on kindle and we select a book not a novel about 
um, Mr. Romeo kissing Juliet. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about learning something um, that will help you with your business. So um, cool. I I finished a book uh, that was I, had, I did so many books. <laughs> um, what was that book called again? Um, the Law of Habits. So I actually finished that book last month. So I got to select this month. And yeah. make it a habit. Make it a habit of investing. Make it a... That's, that's the resource that you need. If, if I was to tell you one resource that you should have as a business that will help you above all, I would say habits develop good habits mm -hmm. if you have the right habits over a period of time even if you're broke eventually you will end up on top yep. if you have the wrong habits and you have a lot of money you're going to end up on the bottom so mm -hmm. um yeah the, the book that i've just finished reading it's called fu money Nice. <laughs> yeah. Who's the uh, author? Does it, does it say there? Yeah, it's actually Dan, Dan Locke. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it was a really nice book. I learned a lot a lot from it. And that was the challenge for that month. Um, I'm actually on a different book now. <laughs> so um, uh, what's this? Raising Capital for Dummies. Um, that's the book that I want now. But I think, I'll, nice. I think I'm going to be looking at a different book, though. Um, because that one, that's, that's, that, that is lengthy, you know. <laughs> so um, yep. you find that, and I don't, I don't try to finish a book. It's, that's not the aim for me. Um, the aim for me reading that book is to really get something that I that that will help me. So I may read the book for say two weeks and I pick up one thing. I don't highlight it and then read the book i go out and try it right. almost use it as a as a textbook or user manual yeah. Um, yeah. for for your business and and, yeah. and what you're trying to do nice so yeah. so um grant cardone actually had a book i read his book as well um and for Mr. a 10X. while yeah <laughs> well no I, I didn't read that one <laughs> but um <laughs> sell or be sold Okay, yeah. You'll notice that I, I use a lot of books. So that's the resource that you really need. Um, you go to university to read books to, <laughs> to, to know what you know, right? Yeah. So why not do it yourself? But, yeah, so uh, self-education has is, is is, is taken you very far. And yeah. uh, it's, it's one of the things that, that you, uh, you stand by and was a big yeah. contributor to your success. Yeah, so that habit, that habit of constantly evaluating yourself. Yep. and constantly working on yourself so i i grant cardone had some stuff in his book and i didn't finish reading the book but he said some things that i thought hey why not i why why don't i try and i find that in certain situations like i may learn one thing in one book and then learn another thing in another book and you put the two of them together and you know you run forward you try that out and see where it, where it goes you can only fail or learn so yep. yeah that's Love what it is
Very cool. Well, what motivates you? Because you're, you're a, I don't know, you're, you're a very inspirational, you know, outgoing and, and clearly motivated guy. So what, what gives you that inspiration? What gives you that drive? Uh, it's me. <laughs> I mean, that's it. <laughs> I can't say anything external motivates me. Um, I love what I do. Yeah. That's really what um, motivates me. Um, I get up in the morning and because I, I'm in a position where I like what I do, even if I'm doing it and I, and I don't like things for the day, I can, you know, go through it. Because it's not going to be all nice every day. Every day. It's not going to be a situation where you're, get, you're hitting all the ducks in a row. You're going to be in a position where days you won't be eating. <laughs> I've been I've been in positions where I don't have work for days and money run out. And I don't eat for three days. Three days. And it, it's okay. Right? You just get up and you drink your coffee. Because coffee actually, you know, kind of kill your, your appetite. That's true. And you move forward from there. So, yeah. That that it's it's the it's the idea of creating something by yourself that you can pass on to the next generation. I I for me I, I hear um, Steve Harvey said it. He said um, his grandfather he doesn't know our his grandfather said to him that he doesn't know his grandfather. And he said, why? Because he didn't leave anything for him. So he wants to be the person that leaves a lot for his, his grandchildren because he wants to be remembered. So I took that away and I'm like, yo, I want that name Ajawi. When it is said, people will remember that, hey, this guy did this. That's, that's really it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good motivator. I, I love Steve Harvey, by the way. He's a... Uh self-educated uh you know self-taught guy and yeah. but, but absolutely brilliant and uh really inspirational so um it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before around kind of survival success significance and yeah. um and that last point around significance and leaving something for the next generation is yeah it's it's a great thing that uh it's a great motivator so um, so yeah, on that note, how, how can people get in touch with you? Um, what, what's the best way to reach out, to learn a little bit more about what you're doing and, uh, and connect with you? Um, if you search for me, my name, just type my name in Google, Ajawi construction, you will see all of my designs. I'm on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, I just started using, um, TikTok. <laughs> just <started. laughs> TikTok. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. But um, as long as you type in Ajawi uh, or Ajawi Construction, you'll always find. Our, yeah. Well, I know we connected on LinkedIn. It was very easy to get in touch with you. So that, that's, yeah. I guess, another way to do it. Cool. Yeah. So that that's always the best way. Or um, if you type in 2015 Innovator Winner. You're bound to find me. <laughs> this was an award you won uh, in Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, Andre, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, thanks for sharing your story and, 
and uh, telling telling the listeners more about yourself. It's it's really been awesome. So, um, but uh, yeah. As as I said before, anytime you're ready and you're in Jamaica, just hit me up, man. Let's let's go on the beach or you know go get some. Well, you would want you would you would do good with aki and saltfish. So with know, what? Sorry. Aki and saltfish. Okay, is this like a dish? Yeah, it's the national dish. Really? Yeah. I would have thought jerk chicken was the national dish. <laughs> um they they have a joke that they say the national dish is actually rice and peas yeah (laughs) yeah yeah every sunday we eat rice and peas well most people that's Um, funny yeah you would would do well with some ackee and sawfish and some roast dumpling roast 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 yam or bird fruit cool well from uh from the Jamaican food that I've had, it's, uh, you know, I know Jamaica is culturally very rich. Uh, they actually have a real, um, you know, kind of rich history of cuisine as well. And a lot of great chefs, um, yeah. kind of like sushi or Mexican food has kind of exploded, you know, worldwide. Um, oh. I think that, I think Jamaican food actually has a potential to become like, you know, a cuisine that, that is, you know, famous worldwide but and it hasn't happened yet of course there's jamaican restaurants in a lot of places but i don't know i i think i think jamaican cuisine could be elevated um and so uh, anyway yeah i think i think um most of the times is that um they're trying to sell an idea of the ideal jamaica but you you have to really go where the Jamaicans are so you come you come here and you're in the hotel you're not necessarily oh yeah uh, and you're getting a hamburger or jerk <laughs> chicken yeah right <laughs> you want, you want, yeah. You want to travel so if you're in Ocherius you you do a trip you you travel like you see the man them on the road with them um like their little restaurants those are where you actually have places that actually sell real um jerk chicken or curry goat or you know those type of yeah things. you know it's funny you say that i asked a buddy in antigua where can i go get authentic antiguan food and he joked and said oh epicurean you know but uh but but really you want the best place either side of the road at, yeah. at a little barbecue stand or come to my mom's on sunday right because yeah. uh because it's true <laughs> so i'm and i'm sure jamaica's got got uh got something yeah. similar there it's, it's not at uh it's not at sandals resort is what you're saying so um, <laughs> yeah but uh, no I'd, I'd love to i'd love to spend more time in jamaica I, I think it's a very interesting country very interesting investing market and uh and yeah it's something that uh that we're we're uh, that's on our radar that's for sure so <laughs> yeah. but um but no this has been great andre and so thanks again and uh this has been another episode of the caribbean real estate podcast um, if you're looking to get more information on buying, selling, and investing in real estate in the Caribbean, don't hesitate to contact me at info at uh, CaribbeanRealEstatePodcast.com um, or just add me on LinkedIn. So yeah. thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to the Caribbean Real Estate Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe and like our content so you don't miss our next episode. Thanks for tuning in.